Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Jen. Hey, Megan. Episode three. I know. It's so exciting. I can't believe we've made it this far. I kind of get excited for our Saturday recordings. Just wanted to mention also that this past Thursday, the 11th of February, mm-hmm. was Women in Science Day. Yay! Woo-hoo! We did make a couple posts and retweeted some stuff on the Twitters. As in we, that means you. <laughs> I still haven't figured out the Twitters. (laughs) Thank you for that, Megan. I posted an article about Mary Cynthia Dickerson, the lady curator. Yeah. So I I read a little bit more about her life and uh, I encourage you all to read it. It's like kind of a long article. So did you because remember in our uh, other episode we were I was asking you kind of what happened, like what led her to like lose her shit? Did it say in there? I'm sorry. I've been researching for this story this week and I didn't have time. Why didn't you read the thing? I really want to read it and I will. But just tell me. (laughs) For those of you who are like TLDR, too long, didn't read for those Gen Xers. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, basically the short version is that, yeah, she she was doing like a ton of stuff. And then World War One happened and she was like covering everyone's jobs. Yeah. But kind of the meat that I took from it, Uh maybe other people didn't take it this way. Maybe like, oh, yeah, she's super overworked. I mean, her boss was like, you need to go well, on a vacation. Well, she was really into her work. Okay, let me just, I'm just going to read this little section. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you an idea of what I think her issue was. Okay. All right. And this is a quote from that article that I shared. Uh, it's in the Michigan Quarterly Review, and it's by Ann Fabian, and it's entitled Charming Toads. And this is from uh, 2013. Oh. She wrote this article. Recent. So that's not 1920. It's like 100 <laughs> years later after... Yeah. Yeah. This is a quote here. Uh, When the military draft cut into the museum staff, some colleagues worried that her many duties as editor and curator had sapped Dickerson with overwork. The deep love or amateur's passion that had sustained her seemed spent. The museum director recommended a vacation, but his promise of relief and rest came too late. Friends watched sadly as poor Dickerson fell victim to a passionate sexual obsession with a Canadian-American Arctic explorer. You know, I'm going to say this name really wrong. Oh, uh, Vihamur... Stephenson. <gasps> wow. Yeah. He, that is, that, that just I know, fits. I know. I'm just imagining what he looks like in my brain. He was like <laughs> super sleek and smooth and uh, maybe like, a little douchey. Definitely with his foot on top of a rock. He may have had that like little tiny, because I'm thinking like 1920s ish. Yeah. He had the little tiny mustache and his hair was like oh pomaded. Everything. Perfect. He, with like a scarf that's flowing in the wind. And he's like, what was he? He was like an adventurer or? He's an Arctic explorer. He's an explorer. Oh my God. He's got like a weathered face, you know, like wind blown face. And he was wearing like boots and those poofy pants. Yes. That come out at like the thighs. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's everything. I'm seeing all of it. You you and I have the same brain right now. But this is the last part of the, the Wait, quote. Wait, even when he stood still, his scarf was blowing in the wind. <laughs> no matter what he It doesn't did, matter. It just was happening. There's no wind. It's don't it's even worry still about blowing. it. It's still blowing. <laughs> like Fabio. Like Fabio. <laughs> just just like, like, there's always like a wind. 
This is how Anne Fabian characterizes him. More charismatic than her toads, but a metamorphic and slimy creature nonetheless. Ooh, a mm. nice. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And in this article, Anne talks about the letters uh-huh. that Mary Cynthia Dickerson would write to Mr. Stephenson. Some steamy love letters. Oh. She would take the museum's stationery and turn mm. it sideways and write these long letters of like Do just it, passionate Carol. love. Yes. She needed that. Listen. Like she'd been working really hard. Yeah. Unfortunately, this dude, he went on some Arctic expedition and a, a lady who was in his group, he ended up impregnating mm-hmm. her and he had like a son. There's all this like, he's kind of a player. He's kind of like a ladies man. And I mean, you and I both know from like shitty relationships that like men can drive you what? I've never had a shitty relationship. <laughs> this is like literally like you had to kiss a few frogs before you find your Prince Charming. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. And yes, it's totally accurate in this situation. Unfortunately, yes. I think she only kissed like the one. Yeah. Probably she didn't have a lot of relationships prior. I mean, she was too busy. She was busy. into her work. Yes. She didn't have time for all that. Shit. Time for that. And then this guy comes along with the scarf and the hair and the mustache and all the things. And being like some sort pants. of like explorer. Yeah. And she was like, all right, let's do this. I really feel like that attributed to her mental downfall. That's so sad. So she goes to the mental institution. She actually went to three different ones. It's like Anne Fabian talks about it in the article uh, that people like friends, colleagues of hers were like, hey, you guys can't put her in these like essentially jail type mental institutions. You got to put her someplace where there's nature. Like she needs to be outside. Maybe she did need like like a break. She uh, Yeah, she obviously had a mental breakdown. So at least today there's more advocates for mental health. There's a lot more out there right. for people to get help. I mean, this there's- is a really normal thing like people have breakdowns people get to their (laughs) limit it happens all the time to most people I would say but at least now there's you know more options but back then they just threw you in the freaking loony bin and that was it right well because the stigma was so high especially for women Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, she's hysterical. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little bit more about her. And she's mm-hmm. still so cool. It oh, makes she's me the coolest sad, but... in that picture. I mean, she's beautiful and it's yes. just an awesome picture. And... and she's like, I'm here owning it. She is. I love the way she's holding her hands in that picture. She just owns Everything it. about it. Yeah, so she is the coolest. Um, I did also want to mention, you know, it's it's Black History Month, although it should be like a regular. It's all yes. year round. Like, let's not be ridiculous about this. So there are a ton of Black, Indigenous, people of color Mm -hmm. who are scientists in STEM, women in STEM. There is this one particular lady that I really liked because my son is super into video games. He's going to be 12. So, yes. All right. So her name is Lisette Titre Montgomery. I hope I'm saying her uh, the beginning of her hyphenated last name correctly. But she is actually a programmer. Mm -hmm. I watched a couple of YouTube videos about her and she worked on some super cool games. That's great. I know zero about video (laughs) games. Absolutely zero. I only know like a little bit. And I I really liked her story. I encourage everyone to go out. I'll tweet her, put her on Instagram, whatever, uh, so you guys can see. But I really particularly like that she's a black female in STEM and she's a programmer for video games because that whole area of science, Mm -hmm. video games, technology is like so male dominated. 
I thought that was super cool and someone that I can share with my son and be like, look at this woman. Women can do things. Don't just think, you know, if you're on there playing Fortnite, it's all just a bunch of dudes. Right. It's not. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. And a little different from our usual nature science nerds. Yeah. Because STEM is... It's so broad. So many things. Yes. Oh, I did want to give a real quick. I know we were kind of talking about this, (laughs) looking at our analytics for who like listens to us so far. Yeah. And (laughs) you were like, we should give a shout out to all of your derby friends. Like just a little background. I played roller derby in Hawaii. I started in Atlanta, but then I broke my leg before I got drafted to anything. (laughs) So there's that. And it was a really stupid stupid break. It wasn't even like cool or anything, but like you were like slamming somebody like and going like, out. Yeah, yeah, no, I just turned the wrong way. <laughs> and <laughs> my, my boot kept going the other way. And I was like, wait, oh, my leg's broken. But yeah, in Hawaii, Hawaii Pacific Roller Derby, those are, Shout I love them. Out. Thanks yeah. ladies for listening. <laughs> and so, yeah, we have a ton of derby people listening and being nature nerds with us. And I love it. I love it too. And thank you. I don't know you guys, but I appreciate you listening and giving us such <laughs> nice feedback. Then and are you ready? Oh, my God. I'm so I'm so ready. All right. So like I said earlier, Megan, I've been kind of hinting at because, you know, like I said in the last um, episode, I have a lot of ideas and they've been I've been rolling them around and thinking which one I want to do next. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do something really different. Megan thought I was going to do a story, which yes. is not what I'm going to do. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Are you ready? Twist. I'm ready. We're going to go down the road of a true crime. Oh, I, my heart. <laughs> I know. I know we kind of like gushed about it in our first episode that we both love true crime. Yes. And we listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. And so I wanted to try it out because <laughs> it's just I want to so bad. So yeah. it is. So but a connection with nature. Right. Right. Always. So I am going to be covering the murders that have happened along the Appalachian Trail. What? So, yeah, I had never been to the AT. I've always wanted to. It would be, you know, I've heard about people walking the whole thing, but I didn't really know much. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I learned, which maybe a lot of people already know. It is the longest hiking trail in the world, Mm -hmm. in the world, which I I was kind of shocked. You're like, why isn't there one across Russia? That's the longest (laughs) hiking trail. There probably is, but it's people have just like straight died on it. Died in the snow somewhere. <laughs> it covers 14 states from uh, Mount Catadin, sorry, <laughs> in Maine to Springer Mountain in Georgia. Yeah, Springer Mountain. I've been there. Uh, Amakalola Falls is kind I of the beginning of it. I have been there because I have a lot of family from Georgia and I've been there a number of times. I'm sure if you've gone anywhere north. Well, Stone Mountain. Mm-hmm, that's not. But <laughs> Stone Mountain is a uh, Stone Mountain is a batholith. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, I've been there. Uh, but yeah. OK, so back to the okay, AT. Sorry. Back to the God, AT. Yes. We, OK, wait, wait, let we'll me try. back up. I need to <laughs> I need to stop right here because I see where this is going. Yeah, because we kind of tend to interject. OK, here's the thing. This is a lot. There are so many stories. Mm-hmm. I think this, Megan, this is going to be possibly a trilogy. This might a be a three parter. That's yeah. hardcore, Jen. Because in this one, I'm only going to cover the first four murders. Oh, wow. And I can tell you there's 12. It's not like when you're talking about a serial killer and there's many victims. Right. And you, it's one story because you're following this one path. You right. know, it's like these are all separate incidences or, you know, murders that have their own story. And 
And they are just nuts. And I am doing a deep dive into those. So I feel like in order to get all the information out, we're just going to have to break it up. But here's the good news. You're not going to have to wait. You are going to get all three episodes in one week. We're going to be so busy. We're going to do it, though, because you know what? We love all six of you. Yes. Yes, we do. (laughs) We don't want you to wait. We don't want you to be like on the edge of your seat, biting your nails. It's not good for you. I feel like we can get all of these out in one week. So Mm -hmm. just hang on. You only have to wait a couple of days for the next episode to come out and you'll get all three. So we'll cover it all at the same time. And then next week, we'll go to Megan's awesome story. Get ready. Get ready for this wild ride. It's happening right now. The the trail like traverses across 14 states from Maine to Georgia. And I'm going to tell you all those states because murders happen in different places. So for people who don't know, and there's a lot of people, our international listeners. So we have Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia, Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia. It's a lot of states. It also goes through eight national forests and six units of the National Park System. The total length, it kind of changes because if they reroute a section or make changes, it it varies. But essentially, it's right now, um, I went to the Appalachian Trail Conservancy website, which Mm -hmm. is great. It's a really nice website with a lot of information. And they have it currently listed as 2,193.1 miles, which roughly is, for our international listeners, 3,500 kilometers. Look at you with the conversion. They also note on the website, and this is the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. I'm going to call it the ATC. We're going to we're going to abbreviate a little for I dig it. ATC from here on out. ATC from here on. Just hang on. (laughs) So the ATC also notes that there are about three million visitors each year. Insane. I'm just going to go into a little history for Mm -hmm. those who, you know, like those like little jaunts into history and want to know some background. The idea was originated in 1921 by a forester named Benton McKay. It's M-A-C, not M-C. He had an original plan called an Appalachian Trail, a project in regional planning. He wanted to connect all series of wilderness um, areas and study camps along the Appalachian Mountains. At that time, the highest point would be Mount Washington in New Hampshire. They hadn't thought of going up to Maine yet. And then to the highest point in the south, which was Mount Mitchell in North Carolina. Oh. And then in 1925, they created the Appalachian Trail Conference, which is now the Conservancy, the ATC. In 1937, the trail was completely to Sugarloaf Mountain in Maine. I have been to Sugarloaf Mountain really? in Maine. Did I... you hear that jealousy in my voice? <laughs> Mindy, I want to go to Maine. They completed up to Sugarloaf Mountain in Maine and the ATC then shifted its focus towards protecting like the trails and mapping the trails for hikers, mm-hmm. which is a big undertaking. This whole thing is just, I can't believe it even happened. You know, yeah. like it's just amazing. If you were to walk the entire hike you would be called a through hiker, as in T-H-R-U. Right. Right. So you probably knew that. Because you're not I, doing yeah. sections. Yeah. 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 So if you're going to do that, you're basically a badass. But it, for the average hiker, it takes five to seven months. There's some records out there of people who have done it in 40 some days or 50. Because like, they're just running. Are I they on like a dirt bike? You can't be on a dirt bike. You cannot. No, it has yeah. to be on you foot. You have to be on foot. Yeah, they. I mean, they. I would imagine that it's a com- competition. They they have a plan, right? And they're like just jamming a cliff bar. <laughs> I was just visualizing that, like just cliff bar after cliff bar, only stopping to poop out the cliff bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then just get stopping for like a few hours of sleep, and then they're up again. Oh man, they have like the yeah the thing for the water. I have one. Whenever we the go to the field, camel pack for pack, water, yeah. and they're yeah. So they're just. They have somebody with them 
that's kind of following along somehow and giving yeah. them all the things. That's but I true. mean, most people that are doing it are carrying everything that they need for five months on their back. It's not easy. Everything I read about it, I mean, everybody's just like, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, but they stuck it out. So a good um, book, which I'm sure you've heard of and a lot of people have heard of is Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. Oh, I have read it. Yeah. I, I was, I, I love that book. ever ago. Yes. And I, kind of forgot because it was a long time ago, but mm-hmm. I actually got it on Audible and I started listening to it again and it's great. It's but so good. Check that out. If anybody who's com- curious about the actual, because he walks the whole thing and yeah. he's funny and he talks about it. And I was trying to find a list of threatened and endangered species that are along the trail. It's weird. I couldn't find it. We'd find sites that would talk about people who st- are volunteering to study like rare plants and all that stuff, but it wasn't anything like really clear right on what was there but here are some animals you may encounter along the trail black bears score that's the one i'm like white-tailed deer cute eastern cottontail i mean bring it porcupine no No, thank you go somewhere cute (laughs) but from a distance um eastern gray squirrel red squirrel eastern chickmunk uh white-footed mouse meadow vole big brown bat cool with that oh i like big brown bats and then grayson highland ponies ponies that's so random but did was uh opossums were not mentioned in there well, I'm sure, but there's, oh, yeah. they, these are things that maybe you wouldn't see out Just your backyard. Regular, right. Yeah. So yeah. You, these are things people, maybe they make a list. I, I imagine, you. I think that a lot of people going on the trail have a list of birds. Right. And there are those lists. There's tons of lists of birds and, you know, for the birders out there that want to check them off the list. And then, Megan, there are yes. some other animals you may encounter. That's so sinister. The kind you don't want to encounter. Oh, oh, those kind of animals. Those kind of animals. So let me just tell you, Let's there have been it. 12 murders along the trail since 1974. According to the ATC, an average of about one rape every three years. Jesus. Considering that there are 3 million people hiking That's... along the trail each year, it's relatively low that anything bad would happen. So sure. I want to I want to say that first because I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to say it's not safe to right. go on the trail because I absolutely think it is. I 100% think that you, you of course, take all the precautions. Mm-hmm. Go with a friend. So a lot of people go by themselves. They also connect with other hikers along the way. Yes. You know, so they kind of have this, you know, they even compete with each other, like catch up and then, you know, they leave messages at different shelters and things like yes. that. So I feel like there is a buddy system out there for sure for people who are going by themselves. But I can tell you that in some of these stories, people took every precaution and it didn't matter. And it didn't matter. Yeah. yeah because sometimes there are bad people out there and you just, yes. you can only do your best. So I have hiked a couple spots of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, I did it with this camp when I was in like 11th grade. It was this high adventure Girl Scout, Boy Scout camp. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I had to sign up to be a Girl Scout to did go. Did you sell Girl Scout cookies? I didn't. I never sold Girl Scout cookies. I was never a Girl Scout or like a daisy or whatever. Brownie? But I have a, very, a brownie. A brownie. Aren't you but, a brownie but, and then you're a Girl Scout? There's like a daisy in there someplace. I don't know. Anyway, I have this really good friend who was like super into scouting. And she was like, you got to go to this camp with me. So I went and we we did overnight hikes on the on the AT. And it, it was good because we were in a giant group with adults and all overnight? of this. Overnight? Overnight. In uh, the dark. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you just slept. We we went to like a base camp and we slept. And then oh, we hiked the rest of the way. Oh, I thought they were making you hike at night. No, 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 no. They're like, you're going to hike all night. No sleep. You're like, just like someone with a whip behind you. <laughs> just crying. It was beautiful. But yeah. when you got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night on the top of a mountain and the wind and it's like so many trees and it's so dark. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, that's when you wake up your friend. Yeah, no, I did. And, and you're I, like, go with me. Well, you know me. 
Yeah. <laughs> you have to come with me. Hold my toilet paper. Just hold my hand while I pee. <laughs> yeah. I vividly remember walking to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Still. And it was the most frightening experience. Yeah, because it's dark and you don't know what's out there. Okay, so let's get started here into these tragic stories. The first murder happened in May of 1974 in Georgia. His name was Joel Pulsum of Hartville, South Carolina. So I got all the information for this story. Well, mostly I kind of pulled it from different pieces around the internets. And um, but mostly from this really great article, this um, in, from 2018 and Outside Magazine by Earl Swift called The Stranger in the Shelter. Actually, Earl Swift has covered several murders that have happened along the AT. And I believe he is a 2000 miler. Like I, I know he did it because mm-hmm. he was actually one of the stories I'm going to tell in the part two, he knew some of the victims because he encountered them along the trail while he was doing it. So he'll come up later. But his articles are so good and so detailed. So a lot of it I got from from that. So Joel was this tall, skinny, sweet, 26-year-old guy. He loved the outdoors. He loved photography, bike riding. He played the violin. And they said, kind of to characterize his personality, when he was about 13 or 14, he fell off the garage or something. They don't know. His parents came home and he was just kind of all... He was just like banged up. He was banged up and confused. They said that he was kind of like, it kind of changed his mental state a bit. So probably he hit his head real hard. It said it took him a couple of years to recover and he went back to school and he was like two years older than everybody. But, you know, he was described as childlike and kind of naive. He didn't see people as threatening. I mean, he was really sweet, really nice, loved people and talking to people, but Mm -hmm. wasn't didn't have a way with the ladies. He was just like your your friend. He had done some bike races and some other things. And then he decided he started reading about the 18 was like, I'm going to do this. I want to do that. I want to be a 2000 miler. And so he started reaching out to friends and family and pretty much anybody who could talk to to try and get people to come with him. Okay, so there's Joel. So let's talk about Margaret McFadden Herrick. She was a 17-year-old college student at the University of South Carolina. She was 17 in college because she's super smart. I was going to say. And she finished college in three years. She's awesome. We'll find out more later. So she loved the outdoors. She had this really adventurous spirit. You know, when she was in college, she was kind of not fitting in, which I imagine she looked even younger. The Hauser action? Yeah, and I think she probably wasn't into all the college stuff stuff that usual students do. And she was just kind of not fitting in. So she wasn't like having a great time. Um, She got a job in March of 1974. She was working tables in downtown club or in a downtown club. No, (laughs) in downtown Columbia, South Carolina. And that's where she met Joel. Oh, Gamecocks, Carolina University of South Carolina Gamecocks. I don't even know. I just remember it because I would laugh like a little (laughs) child. (laughs) Gamecocks. Uh, Gamecocks. (laughs) Yeah. So, So she met Joel. They started chatting. And he was telling her, like he did everybody, mm-hmm. his plans to to hike the entire trail. And he was like, you should come with me. And she like, I'm just, I just met you. What do you, you know? So she kind of laughed it off, but they kept chatting. And she realized over time, he was just a really nice guy. She had no bad vibes, no nothing. She's like, this guy's so cool. She kind of looked at it like she was struggling with fitting in at school. She was kind of having a hard time. She's like, you know, maybe this is just what I need to kind of like clear my head and get a fresh start and figure out what I'm doing. And also it's the seventies. 
Right. I feel like people then were just like, they just did whatever. Just did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there weren't like so many bad things happening, at least that we knew about sure. back then. So people, I love it. I love that she was just like, yeah, let's do it. She told her parents that she was going with a group of college kids <sighs> and that Joel was the leader. <laughs> Don't lie to your parents. Does Joel turn people? out to be a crazy murderer? Just listen, Megan. Oh my God. Okay. 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 Joel is a sweet guy. And I told you in the beginning, he's I the know. victim here. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I Well, I, you know, sometimes when they have concussions. Oh, I know. Yeah. That's like a thing. Yeah. Fall in your head and you're like a murderer. I know. But luckily it just made him really sweet. Okay. He just had that kind of concussion. He's like, okay. He's a sweet sweet guy. So, and, and, you know, we'll post a picture of him. Okay. You can just see by looking at him. He's just like, you just, you You want to give him a hug or something. Her parents were like, great. That sounds awesome. Like what a great adventure that's going to be. Go for it. We support you 100%. Joel, you know, he didn't have a lot of money and this is, really kind of sweet and sad, but he he took his violin to this um, place called the Backpacker. And he was like, I'll leave my violin with you. I just don't have the money for the supplies. Yeah. But they knew him because he came in all the time. Yeah. And they're like, okay, yeah. So they gave him like supply. They gave him this great backpack and they gave him some supplies and they had his violin. And he's like, when I get back, I will pay you back or you can keep my violin because oh, it was worth that amount. Yeah. That will come up later. They started their hike in May of 1974, a little bit late in the day. So they didn't make it too far the first day Mm -hmm. and then rested the next day and Mm -hmm. so they're starting in georgia so the next day they covered about six miles and they stopped at there's all these like little lean-to shelters for people who don't know for people know you know yeah but there's all these little shelters and they all have different names um along the trail for people to stop and they're just like really a lean-to it's like open and you can fit anywhere from like four to eight people, I guess. But you don't want to really sleep in them. When I've looked I mean, at them, I'm kind of like, yeah, no, but I think people do, especially if it's maybe do. rainy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people will sleep in their tent and that yeah. might be where they would keep some of their stuff. I don't yeah. know. But I know on each of the shelters, people leave notes yes. for each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, I remember yeah. that. So they stopped at this shelter called the Low Gap Shelter. And when they got there, they saw another hiker and he was sitting on the floor of the shelter. He was only like a year older than, okay. than Joel. And he was, um, I think he was 28 or I don't know if it says anyway. So, but he was smaller than Joel, wiry. He said his name was Ralph. Margaret said he seemed like he was just like a harmless guy down on his luck. But Joel had like a weird feeling about it because he's like, this guy doesn't look like a hiker. Like he doesn't have all the usual hikey stuff, hikey stuff. Yeah. He had like a knapsack and stuff, but he didn't he didn't have like what they would usually be wearing. He didn't have all his Gore-Tex. Yeah. Or his Columbia outfit. (laughs) Or his Columbia. Is it Patagonia? Or Patagonia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, always trust your gut. Trust your gut. So Joel was like, hey, he doesn't, he was wearing like suede crepe soled shoes. What? That definitely sounds like a non-hiker, like someone up to something. Yeah. He didn't have the proper gear. Joel was like, hey, he kind of whispered to her. He's like, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. Let's just get some sleep. Let's get up super early. I'm going to wake you up. We're just going to grab our stuff and go. We're going to go up a little ways and then we'll stop and we'll eat. But I feel like we need to get the hell out of here. In the morning, Joel woke her up and was like, let's go. So Margaret, you know, sat up in her sleeping bag and she was like loading up her stuff. Okay. So she had noticed that Joel already had his, this big green backpack. It was already lean. It was already like packed, cinched up, ready to go, leaned up against a tree. She saw him walk down to the stream and kind of splash water on his face and Mm -hmm. come back and um, back towards the fire ring. At the same time, she saw Rolf get up. I say it like Rolf. Ralph. Ralph. Yeah. yeah, It's hard. (laughs) At the same time, she saw Ralph get up and take off his blanket 
And she bent down. She was trying to get her stuff together. It was like tying up her, um, lacing up her boots. And then Uh she heard a loud, sharp noise, a blast. And when she looked, Joel had dropped in an awkward crouch, his head resting on the fire ring. And he didn't move. So before she even had a second to process, Ralph like jumped out of the shelter to stand over her and held a gun to her face. No, freaking Ralph. It's his name. It's in the name. Uh, No offense to anyone named Ralph, but it makes me think of, you know, those words that sound like a noise that you make. (laughs) (laughs) Are those called onomatopoeias? I don't know. Oh, God, I can't remember. But yeah. I know some good Ralphs out there. Yeah. But yeah, it's... I I don't know any Ralphs. In this instance, he's a complete (laughs) shitbag. Yeah. He, holding a gun to her all the while, told her pack up her stuff. And then he let her out of the woods. He took her like 100 yards out or so. And yeah. he made her face a tree. He tied her feet and her hands, her hands behind her back and her feet like around the tree and tied her ankles together. And he said he was going to leave her there. He was going to put a note at the shelter that she was there and somebody would find her eventually. Ralph does not seem like the kind of guy who's like, I'm going to leave a note for someone to find you. Well, I think if you're going to like put someone into the woods, like drag them out, if you're going to be that douchey and horrible. You know, I think he was still figuring out what to do because I think he mm-hmm. just put her there so he could move Joel's body out of sight. Oh, okay. So because he told her, so he left her some water and some granola, like he threw it in her lap. He's how like, you gonna... can figure out how to do it with your mouth. <laughs> Jeez. Thanks, dude. And he took Joel's Preach. watch and put it next to her facing up so she could see the time. Ralph is kind of a weird dude. He, oh God, you'll, you'll see. So he left her there and he was like, so she was just sitting there like, this is not good. And she was thinking, she was kind of watching the time and she was just like, if he comes back, he's going to kill me. Yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. She watched the the clock moving slowly. 15 minutes later, he came back. Oh, probably. Yeah. Just long enough for him to go move the body. I feel like he was, this was not like completely planned. Right. I I will say that, you know, they always say don't ever go to the second location. Like, let's say someone's going to abduct you Uh or do something to you. But when you're out in the middle of nowhere, what do you do? Right. Just fight them. Just run. Just zigzag. That is why you carry a machete everywhere you go, Jen. (laughs) Exactly. In your car, in your purse. (laughs) (laughs) You just need like a super long bag. Just in case. If I had had a bad feeling about that guy, I would have just sat outside my tent and sharpened a machete for like... Two hours. I feel like that's a good idea. So he came back and she was like, now I'm going to die because he's going to shoot me. But instead, he said that he couldn't just leave her there. And he said, you're coming with me. We're going to hike out, you know, because I can't leave you tied up. I'll feel bad that something will happen to you. You just shot a dude. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Okay. What he told her is we're going to hike out to the main road and then I'm going to let you go. Mm -hmm. And she's like, "Okay." they're hiking out. He's got the gun. He's walking behind her with a gun aimed at her back the entire time, threatening her the whole time. Like, don't talk to anybody. If we see people and you tell them, I'll shoot all all of you. Y'all shoot the people you tell and I'm going to shoot you. Oh, my God. And they're hiking. I hope he doesn't have his finger on the trigger. Just one <laughs> one, <laughs> one misstep. But I, you know the number of times that I just like trip over myself? Yes. And then when I'm hiking in the woods, I go slowly because right. I'm going to definitely bust ass. Right. For sure. That didn't happen. I don't know how he had it. But so (laughs) they anyway, he was threatening her. They hiked and he told her, you know, he was kind of talking to her. And he was saying that he'd recently been out of prison, but she didn't know why or what. When they reached the road, a lady, this is so 1970s, a lady pulled over and was like, hey, you got to a ride? I love it. (laughs) And she's got like a Virginia Slim hanging out around. Y'all need a ride? She's just like, let's go. So I wrote in parentheses, I was like, did I say 1970s? So she pulled over, gave them a 
ride to a nearby town and they had, um, so Margaret and Joel had had some cashier's checks. Yeah. Remember those? Do people use those still? Uh, right? Do they? Uh, yeah, you have to use cashier checks for something. Oh, I'm sure I I've used know. one in the last decade. Maybe I have no one. idea. Well, anyway, yeah. so they had cashier's checks in like $20 increments, which I love. They cashed some of the cashier's checks and went to a motel and now she's freaking out. He's still keeping her. He's with still him. keeping her. He's not letting her go. He didn't let <sighs> her go guy. at the road. And now she's going to have to stay in a hotel or a motel with him. <sighs> oh, can you imagine? It would just, just be everything like, about this is making my skin crawl. I know. It's probably some like seedy motel. It was. It like was like carpet. this kind along the road that face the road that yeah. are like, but I mean, this is in the 70s. They might have been like nicer. They might have been nicer. <laughs> the shag carpet was still shag. At yeah, that time. it was still like it wasn't thing. matted down. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, so she's real nervous but actually he didn't do anything what? he just sat in a chair with his gun uh-huh. and she, at some point she's like i really need to shower and yes. he's like okay but i'm gonna go in there with you what? and she was all like eh. oh. but all he did was turn around he never looked at her i think he what she said is i think he just didn't want me to jump out the window you know oh, so okay. he but he didn't watch her he didn't look at her how nice of him i mean i'm saying that with like a little bit That's of sarcasm because well, like that's what she was kind of saying is like, he was really nice to me. And it makes zero sense. Because he killed Joel. What, like, what is the motive here? Right? Yeah. So she showers and she actually said that she slept. She slept because wow. I think she was just like, okay, well, he's just going to sit there with his gun. And she said when she woke up the next morning, he's still sitting there with his gun. The next morning, they hitched a ride to the town, a different town to catch Greyhound buses. And so he was like, okay, so I'm going to Atlanta, which was like a $3 ticket. ATL, $3 ticket. And she was going to go back home to Columbia, $10 mm-hmm. ticket. And she was based, he's like, don't say anything, don't do anything. He left first on his bus and she waited there and she got on her bus. Oh, she really got on the bus. To Columbia, yeah. And he he left. He was already gone. He got she on, didn't she didn't do anything. She was like maybe worried that he would somehow like come back and check. Or, sure. I don't know, but she just was like frozen. Yeah. And she waited there until she got on her bus to Columbia. She got out, got on the payphone <laughs> and she payphone. called her brother. Yeah. He did not answer because back then no cell phones. And it, I don't even think if they had answering machines. machines. Yeah. 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 So if no one answered, you're just screwed. And so her uh, brother didn't answer. She called her parents. They didn't answer. Oh, my God. And so she called 911. Obviously, I wasn't in that situation. And I feel horrible for her that she went through that. I'm wondering why she didn't well, walk over to the payphone at the I bus station he threatened her in Georgia and maybe told her that, you know, don't do anything here. I might come back. I mean, who knows? He could have gotten on the bus and then jumped off not far and come back to check her. Right, right, right. Just in case. Who knows? Like, who knows, like, what the conversation was, but she was scared. Yeah. You know, she'd been held hostage oh, for poor Joel. like two days. So I know. Just a sweet guy. So after she called the police, it didn't take long for the authorities to find find Joel. An autopsy found that he had a 38 caliber bullet in his head just behind his left ear. Luckily, I don't think it, he didn't it suffer. Was quick. It was yeah. quick. He didn't even see it coming. It was still lodged in his head. Oh, wow. So they had the bullet, which was a good thing. Yeah, they can match it to some Yeah, because of... forensics, 1970s. At least they could, <laughs> at least they had that. But also Margaret, I mean, he let her live. Mm-hmm. So she had everything. She knew who he was, what he looked, looked like. Looked like all yeah. the things. Mm-hmm. The police were even just astounded that 
she survived, that he didn't kill her, you know, knowing full well, Ralph knew she was going to report it at some point. Maybe he just thought he could get far enough away. It seemed that his motive was just to get the money and the backpack and their stuff. I imagine that Joel would have been the kind of guy who'd just been like, yeah, take it. Like if he had threatened them first, like, I'm going to shoot you if you don't give me your stuff. He would have just been like, here it is. Just take it. You know, and I feel like there's other stories like that. Like Mm -hmm. it's for people's stuff. And if they would have just said, I need this or you're going to die, I'd be like, take everything and just go away. One thing about hikers, you know, they give to each other and people need things. It's a community. Yeah. And and if someone's like having a really time and they need something, I I feel like hikers are the kind of people are going to be like, here, let me try and help you. And that in every every case, well, for sure um, on this one and Mm -hmm. then the one I'll talk about still today and other ones, it's the same. It's the same. They saw these people that seemed down on their luck and they were just so freaking nice. Anyway, from Margaret's description, they put out all points bulletin. And a week later, the Atlanta Police Department received a telephone tip from a woman saying she recognized the man and knew where he lived. And they were able to go to his home that day. He wasn't home, but they waited for him and then pounced once he got home. Um, They found the gun in his house. So the police identified him as Ralph Howard Fox. He was 31. Oh, there we go. I couldn't remember his age earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised in Detroit. Oh. Like, just like Joel. Joel was also from Detroit. Right. And he was also, like Joel, the youngest of three children. Um, raised in a solidly middle-class household, but that's the only similarities they had because Joel was an awesome guy and Ralph was a complete... Maybe Ralph also got a concussion and just got the shitty kind. What if it happened at the same time in their lives? So there was like the shitty concussion and there was the sweet guy concussion. Right. Anyway, let me tell you about Ralph. Okay. Because you need to know about him because he's just... I kind of want to know, but I kind of like, F you, Ralph. Like, I kind of want to know. I'm curious. Yes. So let me tell you. So a lot of this information came from his sister who was like, I don't know. He's just like a sweet, shy guy. I don't know what That's and why. That's always what they say. And he's it's sh- like, maybe you didn't spend enough time getting to know a, that person. He's just the bad seed. Right. I mean, it happens. And this is all the information I have about this because it's just from his sister. He kidnapped a girl from a party he threw while his parents were away. It doesn't say any more about it. Probably not good when you're kidnapping a girl when you're a teenager. Yeah. At 17, he was arrested for car theft and at 18 for breaking and entering. In 1963, when he was 20 years old, he took a 15-year-old girl to New Mexico and was arrested for statutory rape and contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Jeez. This 15-year-old child, name was Anne, and they got married a few months later. I have feelings about that. That reminds me about that. There's this movie documentary thing on, I think it was Netflix, about this girl who was basically groomed mm-hmm. and her parents, It I think it's called In Plain Sight. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh, my God. Well, I think I feel like this is the 60s. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe things like this were easier back then for like people to get a, but socially I mean, he acceptable. Was, I mean, he was arrested for it. So right. obviously it wasn't OK, but somehow it was OK for them to get married a few months later. Um, a year later, in March of 1964, he was expecting his first child with his then 16 year old child wife. And thank he, you for saying child wife, because that's <laughs> the truth. It is. And so he forced, um, at that time in uh, March of 1964, he forced a Detroit high school junior into his car at gunpoint and drove her 13 miles into this lover's lane area in Mm. Troy, Michigan. Luckily for this poor girl, a police officer was like on the prowl and checking in on these things and found them just as he was tying the girl's hands behind her back. Oh, my God. There's like escalation here. Yes. 
He is. He's escalating. I mean, definitely he started out real like messed up with the kidnapping. Mm hmm. But it feels very escalating at this it point. Is. Yes. Yeah. So Anne being a smart teenager, mm-hmm. hopefully, when she has a kid and she's like, what? The actual e- f-? So um, she divorced him. She's like, peace Kudos out. to her. Yeah. Exactly. She was more mature, Jen. <laughs> she was point. like, look, she I was, was like 17. Men, yeah. So <laughs> Ralph was sentenced to 15 years. But he served a very short time oh, before he escaped from <gasps> Michigan State Prison. <laughs> what? Michigan State Prison? Get some better locks, bros. Jeez. There was no information on how he escaped or how that all happened. Mm-hmm. Apparently, according to Earl Swift's article, like all the records from the prison were at a Burned point they just get rid of flooded them. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I always imagine prison escapes to be exactly like the Shawshank Redemption every time. <laughs> exactly. They just they every just time dig a hole. There's always a poster. A there's poster. always a hole. There's always, you know, that's my favorite movie of all time. It's a, one of yeah. them, but up there. Right. Definitely well, Stephen King. In. That's why. Yeah. Stephen King. <laughs> so um, in October 1969, he was recaptured in Miami and returned to the Michigan State Prison. Oh, dang. He was like, let me go take a vacation. I just wanted to go to see Florida once. Right. For some reason, he wasn't in for very long. After? You would think like... Because he escaped, you would think they would add more to it. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. This happens a lot in these stories Mm -hmm. that people go to prison, they don't serve the time and they get let out and then they... Well, because people who are getting arrested for much smaller crimes, but very long sentences... Right. Need the sp- they need the space for those people. They need people. the space for all the people. For all the bull charges. Jesus. Yeah. All right. <laughs> anyway, so so he was out for um, only a short time and he was um, on parole. Mm-hmm. While he was on parole, he broke into Anne's apartment, waited for her. And when she got home, he shot her. Dead? But he missed this guy. Oh, my God. Thank God. Then he went on the run for a while. I th- That's all it says about that. Yeah. But. Luckily, Anne was okay. He then was kind of bouncing around on the run. And in May of 1974, which is when he ended up on the Appalachian Trail. Yes, 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 yes. He was there about five days before the murder of Joel and kidnapping of Margaret. So basically, that's when he was on the run. It was when he was on the run. He probably, you know, he didn't have money, didn't have supplies. And poor Joel, just like an innocent victim. You know, he never fully admitted to killing Joel or gave a reason why. So he just wouldn't talk. He was sentenced for Mm -hmm. first degree murder. He went back to prison and he spent only 17 years in prison for murdering Joel. 17 years. I'm hoping that you're going to be like, and then he died in prison. After only seven months out of prison on parole. Yes. He failed to meet with his parole officer of course. and he didn't show up to his job. About a week later, and this is in March of 1992, the nude body of 29-year-old Diane Good of Detroit was found in a muddy field in La- Lapeer, Michigan. That sounds right. Does that sound right? I mean, not the dead body part, but the pronunciation, right? Thank That's you. <laughs> so this poor girl had been strangled. Oh, my God. But fortunately for his victim, his dumbass got his car stuck in the mud in this <sighs> area and he had to be towed out. They had seen this. They saw. They're like, some car got stuck here. So they called like all the tow truck drivers. And the tow truck driver was like, yeah, I gave that guy a ride. They he had his name. And, yeah. Like he actually gave his name to the tow truck company. And so two days later, he was arrested in Washington while he was trying to break into a parked car. Dude. He also, he claimed to have nothing to do with the murder. Of course not. 
Then he's back um, in court. Circuit Judge Martin E. Clements, and I just want to tell you what he said. He wasn't having any of it. He said, Mr. Fox, you were convicted of murder before in another state, and now you're convicted of two murders in your lifetime. I am satisfied that you pose a substantial risk to free society and that you should never be let out of prison ever for any reason. Thank you, Judge Clemens. Thank like, you, Judge Clemens. Like, keep <sighs> keep these guys in there. So Ralph died in 2003 of lung cancer. Oh, good. In prison. Margaret didn't share her story for 41 years. Damn, Margaret. I think she was just like... Traumatized? Yeah, in processing. And it just, to her, it didn't seem like... She's like, did this really happen to me? I mean, it's just... Right. It's just like an out-of-body kind of experience. So... It changed her life. It mm-hmm. changed the way she thought about things. And I think she just quietly went on doing her life and doing awesome stuff. So in 2015, she told in detail the story to the ATC. Oh, nice. And then again in 2018 for that outside article. Right. Um, and so she's a really super awesome lady. She um, went on to get her doctorate in forest genetics. Oh, I what? love her. I know. <laughs> um, from uh, North Carolina State University. She's had a long career with USAID, mostly working overseas. and helping people and all over the world but I guess helping foresters all over the world so yay women in science yeah Um, she's retired now but I think she still does contract work with USAID she's also been married for a long time she's a mom and living her best life overseas oh that's wonderful the owners of the backpacker store where Joel left his violin violin. they kept it for 40 years (gasps) they had it refurbished I just got chills they really were just so sad about what happened to him but somehow the violin went to like a niece or something and she practiced on it for a while and then they stored it in an attic and it got wet and it kind of fell apart but but it really meant a lot to them and they were just so sad about Joel like everyone who knew him was just crushed and I guess in retelling these stories you kind of bring them back a little that Mm -hmm. they're recognized for being awesome people that just fell victim to these terrible crimes and so that is this first story in 1974 the next murder occurred about a year later in April 1975 so this one I couldn't really find much anywhere Mm -hmm. on this there's just not a lot of information but what I did find it's freaking terrifying this one is scary I mean it's like a scary movie a horror movie so the victim was through hiker and obvious badass Janice Balza B-A-L-Z-A I love her name. Yeah. Janice Balza was from Madison, Wisconsin. She was only 22 and had just graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Nursing in January, which is awesome. 22 and she's just like yeah. doing it. She's just getting it done. Like she's obviously smart. Well, and nursing. Yeah. That's like a hard field. I know a couple nurses and I'm okay. like, I don't know how you guys do that. No. There's no way. Yep. No way. But yeah. So I really appreciate all the nurses out there because I absolutely could not do it. When she graduated, she was just like, I think, you know, she'd always wanted to hike the trail. It's something that she thought, okay, well, I just finished this, you know, big milestone in my life. I'm going to hike the whole 2000 plus miles of the trail. And mm-hmm. then when I'm done, I'll figure out, you know, get a job and settle down with a job. She had been hiking on the trail since late February. She has also started in Georgia. Nice. Which I guess most people do. There's only a few that start in Maine because you start... It's too cold. It's too cold, right. So they start in the spring in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then by the time they hit Maine, it's warm enough. There's only like a small percentage that start up north and move down. She had been hiking on the trail since late February. And again, this was in April. So she had made it quite a ways. She originally started the trip with a friend. 
Oh, nice. So that's smart. I Buddy mean, system. I think, yes, definitely better to go with a friend if you can. But her friend broke her arm somehow along the way, probably falling like we do on... <sighs> Just like tripping. Logs, just tripping like everywhere you go. And she had to go back to Wisconsin. But Janice was like, nope, I'm going to do this. I set out to do it. And I think she probably met like people do. A lot of people along the way right. had the buddy system. So she was like, it's good. She probably felt comfortable on some yeah, level. Because she'd been doing it for, you know, a couple of months at this point. So yeah. she was like, you know, I got this. And I probably would have done the same thing. Man, I don't know. Uh, you know, even though <laughs> even though I'm I'm a little superstitious. So if, if we were hiking and you broke your arm and you're like, all right, I got a piece out. Highly likely. I, <laughs> I would be like, all right, let's go. I'm not going alone. Like this is a sign. It's a sign that I should stop. I would probably be like, you know, because I'm like stubborn and I'm like, yeah. I committed to doing this I'm and gonna I'm going to do it. And I would watch if me. If it were me who broke my arm, I'd be like, Jen, don't do it. And I'd be like, Megan, just go. It's a sign from the universe. <laughs> I'd be like, go. I'm doing this. Leave me alone. <laughs> she decided to go at it alone. In April, she made her way to the Vandeventer. I think that's how you say it, shelter in Tennessee, just north of the Watauga Dam. Nice. I'm just messing these up left and right, but everyone will tell us. Don't will. worry about it's it. It's all good. All we really know is that she was at the fire pit eating breakfast and this insane lunatic, Paul Bigley, who was a 51 year old apparent. <laughs> His last name is Bigley? Bigley. Like, you did it, Bigley. <laughs> So Paul Bigley, he was 51 and he was apparently, and I'm doing air quotes, a tree surgeon, like an arborist. Sure. Yeah. But whatever. I'm just like, don't give him any fancy titles. 51. He's, I don't want to like him. He's insane. I hate yeah. him. He was from Tucson, Arizona. What's he doing in Tennessee? I may get into that, but I don't have too much on him. But anyway, she was sitting at the fire pit eating breakfast and she was attacked with a hatchet. Nope, 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 nope. I hate hatchet murders. It was a hatchet murder. This poor woman. This poor girl. Because guaranteed. Had her whole life ahead of her. And yeah. just some crazy lunatic just Came takes at her it with away a hatchet. for no reason. They couldn't ever figure out why he did it. Um, at first, it was thought, be some people thought he really coveted her backpack, which I'm like, just so take the Hatchet her to death? Yeah. yeah. Just take the backpack. I mean, come on. Jesus. I'm like, really? And some sources say he was on parole from jail or a mental institution. I read different articles. Sure. But a few days later, he self-surrendered to the police and admitted to killing her. And they went out and they found her body five days later. At least he did that. Mm -hmm. uh. He was convicted of first degree murder. And the coroner's report showed that Janice had suffered four to five hatchet blows to the head. I do have some newspaper clippings. I was thinking to read one, but I think it's pretty much all covered here. I mean, there's just yeah. more details and we can post those if people want yeah. to read about it. I think For that's sure. better. And one of the articles, it said that he was ordered to a two month mental examination because they're just like, Does, why would you hatchet somebody in the head over their backpack? You have to be mental. Right. But I mean, he was put in prison. So maybe they found him to be sane. I don't have any more information about him. I know he went to prison prison in Nashville and he died in that state prison in Nashville. I don't know. It didn't say the year that he died. Right. But luckily he's gone from the earth. Yeah. And he died in prison. Man. But poor Janice. Here's something that's a little spooky ooky is that is there's a lot of posts about hauntings at that Vandeventer shelter. I'm making a face right now. I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. And so people, <laughs> a lot of hikers have said that when they've stayed at the shelter, they hear loud footsteps 
coming from the nearby woods late at night and no one's there. They also hear other strange sounds coming from the cliffs behind the shelter. And people just like one person noted that they took a picture of the shelter and there's a mist. Sure. I believe it. I mean, you know, I'm skeptical, but also when creepy shit happens, I get really scared. Well, I don't know, because, you know, they say sometimes it could be a ghost or mm-hmm. a spirit that is still there, you know, because maybe she just wants to finish her damn hike She's like, and move sure. on with her life. And it just was torn from her. And she's pissed regardless of why she was there. Maybe it's not even that. It's just an imprint of that horrible crime Incident. that happened. Yeah, sure. So I mean, I will say from like a science standpoint, physics, energy can't be created or destroyed. So maybe when someone dies, their energy is still yeah. hanging around there just in a different form. For sure. I'm no medium, but... I 100% believe it. It creeps me out either way. Well, I just feel like when things happen to people so instantly and it's so tragic, Mm -hmm. they are lost. I really hope that that first blow was like a killing blow. You know what I mean? Well, if anything, it just probably was so knocked her unconscious or was so... I mean, I I hope it happened real fast. Yeah. But... Yeah. Hatchets. Hatchets. So that is all I have on that story. It's a short one. Or Janice. Yeah, that's a short one because there just wasn't a lot. It's not like some of these others that there's... Details. Very Yeah, a lot of details. I really searched. (laughs) If you find more out there, uh, definitely fill us in. But I wasn't able to find much. Yeah. So there's probably some much better internet sleuths out there than than me. The next murder happened in May of 1981 in Gills County, Virginia. I was one. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's right. This happened at the Wapiti shelter. The victims are Laura, Susan Ramsey. She went by Susan or Susu and Robert Mountford Jr. They were both 27 year old social workers from Maine. Listen to this. This is so sad. There are a few sources that mention, I kind of had to piece it together, but that mentioned that they were doing this hike along the trail, the AT, to raise money for a school for mentally challenged children in Maine run by Robert's mom. Oh, wow. So that was like a fundraiser. Yeah, where you like pay them per mile or whatever. Something, yeah. So, I mean, come on. These were like the sweetest people. That's very it, altruistic. I, they're social workers, number one. Yeah, which is... Which is another... That's like customer service on another level. I started out in school. I wanted to be a social worker. And then I quickly decided that I didn't like people. So. I was going to say... Like, <laughs> Can you imagine me being a social worker? It would be... I'd be like, you know, just... I don't know. Can you just figure it out? <laughs> These were just cool people. Actually, Robert had been walking the trail for a while and then Susan joined him at a point. They had made their way to the Wapiti shelter in Virginia and they encountered 28-year-old. And so they're 27. This guy's 28. They encountered uh, Randall Lee Smith. He just kind of randomly showed up and started chatting and asked, randomly started having their evening meal with them. Mm. They thought he was a little strange, mm-hmm. but they're social workers and they're Oh, super, yeah. super nice people that want to help people. So here's my message. Don't be nice. <laughs> I, there are a lot of the podcasts that we listen to that are like, it's OK to be rude. And I, I 100 percent agree with that. Yes. If you feel uncomfortable, be a jerk. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yes. Because- I feel like me being the judgy bitch that I am is <laughs> the reason I'm alive today. Sure. And I've definitely been too nice. I'm too nice. I'm yeah, too nice to are. a point. And then at some point, I mean, it takes a lot, but I'm learning. I'm getting better. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's something we're all trained to do is to be nice to people. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you have even the smallest inclination feeling that this person yes. might be a little strange or off, I would just say, get out of there. They're nice people. I think it all comes down to like, like you were saying earlier, like they're hikers. Everybody yes. helps each other. There's this camaraderie. They share food. They like, oh, yeah, come and they talk stories and all this stuff. So after the meal and they were just like chatting, Smith pulled out a gun and shoots Robert in the head. Another one. What? As a woman, I would be terrified at that moment. Right. I would try to be strong. And not saying that I got to rely on a dude or anything, but if it were any other companion of mine and they got shot first, it's almost like you would want, if you were in that situation, you would want to be the person shot first, the person who dies first. Right. Because I, I don't want to be there's nothing good gonna in happen a prolonged, after that. yeah, no, yeah. no. I know. I've thought about this because Robert was a big guy. He was a really, he was mm-hmm. a really good woodsman. Like he knew his stuff. He definitely would have been able to have her. But when somebody has a gun, yeah. you're, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. You got to hope that they just don't know how to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. And getting shot in the head. Mm-mm. I mean, you're down. That's it. So after he shot Robert, he then went straight for Susan. He brutally beat and stabbed her. Robert had been shot in the head with a 22 rim fire, whatever that is. Because guns, I don't know know anything about guns. Susan showed signs of having struggled mightily for her life. I love her. She had defensive injuries on her hands. She had been struck in the head with a piece of iron. She had 13 puncture wounds inflicted by a long nail. She also had wounds. A long nail? Like a a railroad nail or something? Something, a long ass nail. But where did it come from? I don't know. That guy just carry around long nails. She had also had wounds inflicted by a knife. That sounds like some kind of weird psychological issue that that guy has related to women. Let's get there. Okay, cool. We're going down that road. Yeah. So this is what happens when you listen to too much to watch all of the shows. You're just like, oh, I already know his psychology. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, nothing I'm going to tell you guys you're going to be too surprised by. Yeah, yeah. So investigators suspected that she had also been sexually assaulted, but they couldn't prove it because once they did find their bodies, the bodies were, they were in poor condition. It wasn't too far. I mean, they weren't out there for too long, but also we're still in a time when forensics weren't great. Sure. You know, we're still in 1981 and it is what it is. Let's talk about this bag named Randall Smith. Randall Lee Smith, right? He's got the three names. Yeah, Yeah. And what is it? Well, I don't know if he went by all of them, but yeah, Randall Lee Smith. He was born June 29th, 1954. Mm -hmm. He was the only child of Loretta Smith and he, she raised him by herself. They were poor. That's for some reason, his mom dressed him in girls clothes for the first few years of his life, but we don't know why. Gives me like a sleepaway Mm -hmm. camp vibe. Nobody was ever able to say why she dressed him in girls clothes, but yeah, maybe he had some, you know, something when he was born that. So my son, he was born a boy. He currently wants to be a boy. Whatever he wants to do in life, I don't really, I don't have any kind of opinion on that. That's his choice. But when he was young, he would love to wear dresses. And I never shamed him for that. If your kid is going in one way or the other, you could just yeah. like, go for it. Like do whatever you want to do. However they feel. But, and you know, in this, we're, we're this like situation in the 50s. is a little bit strange in that, yeah, it's that time period. It's and that it's time period where I don't feel like, yeah, kids would, were right giving being given choices the social pressure it was like in the first few years of his life so right. i mean i i know some kids early on make choices about mm-hmm. what they want to wear and all that but it seemed like she was doing this right i don't know that was just something that i 
thought was interesting. Yeah. He was a loner and he was also a habitual liar. And he eventually earned the nickname in like high school already for um, nickname LR for Lion Randall. Dang, Randall. So he just made up all kinds of crazy stuff like that. You know, they were just dirt poor and he would make up that they had money somewhere, a property in places like he was just like his dad is a king of Egypt. Exactly. That's a little bit about Randall Smith. And so going back to which I think I mentioned earlier that Robert had left from Georgia in early May and he met up with Susan in Virginia. Along the way, like they do, the hikers on the AT, they make friends and they met up with a female hiker on the trail. And they had all kind of like, hey, yay, let's meet up in, I think it's Parisburg, but it's spelled P-E-A-R-I-S-B-U-R-G. So those in Virginia can say what, how you say that, but Parisburg sounds right. And they had set a time because they were, you know, kind of knew how quickly they would be able to get there. Mm -hmm. They're like, let's meet there on this time. That girl got there, waited for them and they didn't show and she got worried and she called authorities. Oh, good. So that's how they knew that they were missing. That girl has a mind. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And good. So that's why these people, you know, they look out for each other on the trail. 100%. Like hikers, man. Yeah. So Robert's dad was really sad. Oh, like he, I, he felt it immediately. Like this isn't good. My yeah. my son would not get lost mm-hmm. if he is missing. This is very bad. Something has happened to and him. And he got in his car in Maine and just booked it to Virginia Dang. to look for his son. With the local sheriff's office investigators, they started asking, going around and talking to different hikers. And one of them had recalled that they had been seen at this Wapiti shelter with a strange looking man. Then the investigators they went to this local store and asked if anybody had seen the hikers. And the store owner said that they had spotted them there on May 19th, which was actually proved to be the last sighting of those two. People were also saying that there was a man going around saying that he knew what happened to the hikers. And when the sheriff asked the man's name, they said it was Lion Randall. And he's like, he's lying. (laughs) He's a liar. He's a liar and he's weird. And I'm not going to believe that. So (sighs) they didn't follow up on it. What? It's like the one time he's telling the truth. Right. But he was so known for being just a pathological liar that was just weird and made shit up that they were like, this guy, whatever. Oh, no. The investigators continued searching. They fanned out farther along the trail in an effort to reach more hikers that had passed. Um, through that stretch above that Parisburg and that might have seen them. They found two more people who remembered seeing the couple along with a third male figure near the shelter. And they said he acted very eerie. Investigators went to the Wapiti shelter. Um, It was now May 30th. This is 11 days after the last sighting of the couple. Oh, dang. They didn't see anything unusual until his he looked at the floor of the shelter and it looked like something had run down between the floorboards. Uh... So he said he ran his knife to kind of get to see what it was and it was a thick red substance they pulled up the floorboards and it later revealed it was robert's blood oh so they started to fan out in that area Mm -hmm. they went out about 30 yards in all directions and like you know kicking over things and cutting at the grass and they came upon an area where they noticed like a mound of leaves as if someone had tried to cover something up or bury it. Hmm. And they started digging and discovered a cloth sleeping bag and inside was Susan Ramsey. Oh my gosh. Wait, so they haven't found Robert's body yet? Not yet. They just found the blood, but later Mm. revealed that it was his. So once they knew they had a crime scene, that's when they brought in the dogs. Right. I just feel like dogs should work all the time. Well, they should because they're awesome. You should just always have a dog with you. Uh, Sure. Or a cat. I don't think (laughs) criminal investigation with a cat. It would just be... be terrible. (laughs) 
the dogs kind of went around and it stopped about 100 yards from the shelter and poked its nose around its stump. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, that's weird because there's just a stump there and they didn't think there was anything. But they moved the stump and started digging around and found Robert's body also buried in a sleeping bag. It was evident that the bodies had been dragged from the shelter. The investigators had found Susan's camera, but there was no film. It had been ripped out. They also came across her backpack, which had a paperback novel in it that she'd been reading and had bloody fingerprints on it. Later, they would find that one of the prints inside the book belonged to Randall Smith. Oh, I wonder why he took the. Maybe she took a picture of him or something. He's like, I'm going to take this film. Who knows? Maybe he was just paranoid. And then like the book, after he kills him, he just sits down to like read a couple well, chapters. I thought the same thing. Well, what I thought is after he killed them, he was going through all their stuff, yeah. like pilfering mm-hmm. and taking whatever he wanted, looking for money or whatever. So he ended up just still had blood on his hands and left a, a fingerprint. And his fingerprints were on, fi- on file from when he worked at these Norfolk shipyards because he always right. kind of had like odd jobs. And apparently he was like a welder and did some welding oh. jobs for people. After that, the Giles County investigators put out a nationwide APB mm-hmm. and they um, closed the Virginia portion of the trail to hikers. They're like, you guys stay out of here. So it's a crime scene. It's real bad. They hadn't caught the killer yet. So they wanted to keep people from falling to the hands of this guy. So investigators went to Smith's home and in the basement, they discovered, it's always in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) So in the basement, they discovered some blood-soaked jeans and some other stuff that belonged to the hikers. Uh, And they also found, of course, pornographic material and hospital instruments. I mean, nothing wrong with pornographic material. It just depends on the kind. I guess it's the bad kind. If you want to watch porn, do it. You do do you. But don't don't watch porn that's like inappropriate porn. Like killing people porn. Like killing people or children or any of those like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you're Appropriate porn. Do it. Do your thing. (laughs) Consenting adults. Yes. There yes, you know. thank you. Anyway, the they also found hospital instruments because his mom used to work at a hospital and he probably stole them, they figured. And they were fashioned into sex toys. The, was the dressing up when he was younger, was that the only thing that his mom did to him? We maybe will never know. Oh, he wasn't right. much of a talker, apparently. Right. The crimes appeared completely senseless. There was the the man who prosecuted, his name is Hezekiah Osborne, prosecuted Smith for the hiker's death, theorized that Smith's lack of experience with women, because he was never known to date anyone, led him to become obsessed with Ramsey because she was friendly. She was just so nice, trying to help him. He got too wrapped up. Some people had said that they saw Smith with uh, the hikers at that store. They think that maybe it started there and he followed them. Okay. So he was talking, like chatting with them. And then he just was like, oh, I'm going to hang out with these people because he's like into her. You know, they theorized, but they don't know that maybe Smith made a pass at Ramsey and Robert intervened and he returned later to kill them. I don't know, because it sounded like he was kind of hanging out with them. So probably I feel like that was the motive and to steal their stuff. He never said. So later they found him in Myrtle Beach claiming he had amnesia and didn't know who he was or how he got there. So I guess he was in pretty bad shape. Like he was covered in like bug bites that he had like scratched and they're all bloody. And they're like, oh my God, Gross. you really need to go to a hospital. We need to go right away. So, and he's like, yes, I do. I do. Oh my and so God. when they admitted him to the hospital, he wrote his name <laughs> for it to be admitted. And that's how they knew who he was. That's Because he was like, I don't know who I am. I'm so confused. And, and then, then they're like, oh, fill out this form. And he's like, you got it. <laughs> Randall Lee Smith. And there's, there's like <laughs> and an detective like, standing right there. And he's like, thank you, sir. Yeah. 
Well, they talk about it. So I think they felt pretty smart about that. So that's funny. Every time they asked him what happened in the mountains, he would just say, I don't want to talk about it. Smith was charged with two counts of murder. A lot of the hike. I mean, this was a big deal in the hiking community. They were pissed. They wanted this guy to go down at least sentencing of life without the possibility of parole or something like that. For sure. But for some crazy reason, he was given a plea bargain. And pleaded guilty to two counts of second degree murder. What is the plea? So for some reason, the prosecutor felt like he didn't have solid enough evidence. He has a bloody fingerprint inside a book and two dead bodies. And how many witnesses? It was the shooting part. I think he wasn't sure. But I mean, still, Uh, everything was in his basement. Yeah. And I guess both Susan and Robert's family agreed to it, which would result in a 30 year sentence. And who knows what they were told and what. But I know that I did read that they were very religious, both families, and they probably did not believe in the death penalty. Sure. They figured this would be punishment enough. I don't know. But 30 years. That's kind of big of them. I don't know how I would be. I guess it would depend on if someone killed my son. I think I would go on a murderous rampage. I would murder them. Apparently, this this did not go over well with the community of hikers. They didn't feel like justice was served and sure. they were picketing out in front of the courtroom. I just, it makes me kind of feel warm and fuzzy, like how much they stood mm-hmm. together. And it was such a big deal. And well, I'm sure they could see themselves in the two victims. Yeah. And these were just the sweetest people. I mean, just yeah. 100% wrong place, wrong time with a sketchy asshole that just snuffed them out like they're mm-hmm. nothing. And I just, it's so bad. This whole portion is detailed in the book Murder on the Appalachian Trail by Jess Carr in 1985. Some people said it's a little too detailed, but I don't know. I haven't read it, but I feel like it gives you everything you need to know. So here's the other thing, Megan. Yes. After only serving 15 years, mm. Smith was paroled in 1996. Oh, because he was a model inmate. I was 16. Never caused any problems. What age were you on the Appalachian Trail? Oh, no, it would have been like around then 16, Mm -hmm. 17. So would you have liked to know that this guy was out? So people in his community knew and the the cops were and the sheriffs were all over him. Yeah. And keeping tabs on him. But because he was sent back to his mother's home where he grew up for a 10 year home containment, whatever that means. So I guess it's like house arrest back then, but I don't think they had the. Is that like our current ROM, ROM, restricted restriction of movement. <laughs> it's like quarantine. Yeah, it's quarantine. Basically. Uh, his neighbors, like while he was doing right. this home containment. home containment, he still made up a bunch of stupid lies. Like he told his neighbor, like he had a girlfriend in Daytona Beach. <laughs> she, he would say that he went to see her and that he had a house in Daytona Beach and went in Las Vegas. Like, come on, come on. You think these people who've known your whole life Please. believe that for even like a second? He became more and more of a recluse. And there was times he was spotted chatting it up with hikers. Oh, no. Creepy, creepy. Be. By this time, he looked way different because when it uh, originally happened, he was what, 28? Right. And now he's 24. Yeah. Yeah. So he was really skinny and substantially we'll post a picture. He's super creepy. I would not talk to this guy in a hundred million years. I would grab a <laughs> stick and be like, sway. <laughs> Get the fuck away from me. I'd have my machete. Anyway, so he walked with a stoop and just hung out around the trails. And, you know, because he lived fairly close and that's where he grew up. His mother died in 2000 and he lived off a little bit of the small amount of money that she left him. But Mm -hmm. when it ran out, he kind of just got his and went and lived in the woods. At this time, the police were like, where is he? Because they noticed like he had been gone for a while. It drew, you know, really drew attention. They were looking for him. 
He also had his fishing gear and he had this dog, Bo, that would go with him. The police actually put out posters at the little local store. I just want to say dogs don't know any better. I know. I always feel, I just feel sorry for Bo because he was just like, he was just like, I don't He's know. Just like I a have dog. no one else. I'm yeah. just following this guy because he gives me some food and yeah. I'm sure he didn't approve of him. Sure. 100% didn't approve. They had put a poster up in Trent's, the, uh-huh. lo- the local store. It was down at this country. So this country store was at the bottom of a road that leads to this place called Dismal Creek. <laughs> it's a known fishing spot. Dismal Apparently, Creek. it's really beautiful. Oh, well, why so they call it Dismal Creek? Maybe it's like a local thing, you know, like, oh, this is our local spot. Let's call it Dismal Creek. So, so no, no one wants one to go there. there. That's, yeah, that's probably what it is. That sounds Dismal right. Dismal Creek. So, yeah. So Dismal Creek. Yeah. Like really beautiful spot, really mm-hmm. secluded, like nice place to go fishing. So in May of 2008, these two guys, Scott Johnson and Sean Farmer, planned a fishing trip. And these guys had known each other since they were little kids. Mm-hmm. They've been fishing together. They've been like besties forever. They went out to Brushy Mountain, which I guess is kind of in the same area as Dismal Creek. Not really sure, but mm-hmm. um, they went up there. Um, so Scott went first. He got there in the morning. He set up his tent and all his stuff and he went down to go fishing and that's when a guy named ricky williams introduced himself oh oh ricky williams ricky williams Hmm. Hmm. and so i guess you know i mean these are nice guys and it's just like around there you're nice to people and it's just kind of like an unwritten sure hospitality hospitality share things same thing with the hikers so later i guess this well so this whole thing is detailed in this id dead silent episode which i had a really hard time finding like the id channel like the id channel they had a show called dead silent and this is episode one season one episode one and it's um dismal creek or something like that i need Mm. to look at that again but at this point so he already had introduced himself to scott who's down at the at the creek and he was like uh randall had been like ricky Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ricky Lake. He, he so, changed. <laughs> Ricky Williams had been... Um, quote, Ricky Williams. Had been, quote, Ricky Williams, had been in the woods for weeks. And he was not looking too good. He He's was looking super skinny, stinky. really gaunt. Yeah, really gross. And his dog was even like skinny, like ribs showing, oh, no. you know, protruding stomach. And so Scott was kind of like feeling sorry for him. And, you know, he was like this Ricky was telling him like, there's no fish here. And Scott's like, I've already caught all these trout. And he gave him some and because he felt sorry for him. Yeah. And so they chatted for a little bit and he was like, oh, where are you camping? And he's like, oh, we're up there, uh, which was only one mile and a half from the Wapiti oh, no. shelter. They chatted and later Sean gets there, Sean Farmer. So he came in like later that afternoon and Scott wasn't there at the time because he was out getting some firewood and stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe the guy, you know, Ricky wandered off. But then he came up to Sean when Sean got there Mm -hmm. and was starting to set up his, you know, camping gear and stuff and um, figured, you know, his friend was out fishing or doing whatever. And so he was just going to wait for him. Yeah. Ricky talked to Sean Mm -hmm. and was like, oh, yeah, I just met your friend down there and he gave me some fish. He's really nice. You guys camping here was just like making small talk. Sure. And Sean was like, oh, yeah, here already met Scott so it's all good and we're all friends now yeah we're okay so later they you know invited him if he wanted to eat with him like I think he might have invited him invited himself but they were just trying to be nice to him and the dog and so if you're just old guy you know down on his luck with a dog with his dog you know you would think with people with a dog would be nice it's like the creepy rapists who drive around with kids seats in the back of their car oh my god yes yeah (sighs) 
Again, told Sean his name was um, Ricky. Ricky Williams. Yeah. That night, they all were kind of like chatting. You know, he was like, I even, you know, Scott was like, yeah, we cooked the fish. We gave some to his dog. And um, Ricky seems in no rush to get to his own campsite. Well, sure. Randall Smith was just telling all kinds of big fat lies. R- Ricky, Ricky Randall. Ricky Randall. <laughs> Ricky Randall. Ricky Williams. He was just all making, lies. yeah, he was making up all these lies. And I, they kind of were like, this guy is so full of shit. But they were just like, whatever. So they're trying to be nice. Again, don't be nice. Don't be nice. But let me just tell you, Sean is six foot four and about 325 pounds. He's a big fella. Dude, I am So imagining... I feel like he's looking at this little yeah. twig of a man and like, I could pummel you in like three seconds. Yes. You know, like, I don't feel like they were too worried being like these two I bet, big dudes. I bet Sean is, what time of the year was it? Uh, I think it was in May. Yeah, maybe it's like a little bit chilly outside. He's wearing like a red flannel. He's got, oh, Megan, he's got let's a nice not, beard. let's let it go. Let it go. Yeah, yeah. That's... Just, just <laughs> save that for later. Anyway, so they... um. I feel like they were being nice. I feel like if you and I were camping and some weird dude was there with his dog, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. hey, we're just yeah. going to run up to the store, get something. And we would just hightail it out of there and call the police. Yeah. Yeah. I would not do that. But I feel like these guys, they're like, we could crush him. Also, I think men are a little, I mean, when we were in Peace Corps together, mm-hmm. we were on this one, in this one place and I was walking with another Peace Corps volunteer, a man. And I probably have told you this story a million times before. We were walking and there was this crazy guy who, it was at night. Mm-hmm. There was this crazy guy who came like running down and was like trying to talk to us. And I was like, oh my God, get the fuck away. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, and I was like, no, everything he was saying, I was like, nope, nope, nope. Like very short. And the guy with me was like, chatting with him and I was like don't chat with him yeah that dude's crazy well yeah I don't think I mean I know there's men that do get it but yeah I think it's it's hard for them to understand that we have this like innate fear level of vulnerability that they just don't have yes and Mm -hmm. we're kind of always like looking behind our shoulder yeah but men though especially these guys I mean they're just like out there doing their thing wearing their lumberjack clothes yeah Megan. <laughs> With their beards. <laughs> all right. Megan. Megan is single. <laughs> For all you lumberjacks out there. So anyway, so she, uh, or sorry, he, um, you know, he's a big guy. I don't think he really thought too much about it, but they were kind of annoyed with him at this point. They're kind of like, you know, just go already. And it was getting, yeah. it was dark. They're like, it's going to find his way back to his camp. And so after a few hours, Smith finally got up and was like, called his dog and was like starting to leave. And then before he left, he just kind of like casually walked up to Sean um, behind him on his left and shot him in the temple with a 22. He then turned around. Containment did not work. Yeah, he then turned around and shot Scott in the neck. So, so, so Scott is, so Sean's the big guy and he's like, and if you watch this um, episode, the ID episode, he, no, he wasn't dead. He is... He is still alive, so you don't get it. Oh my but God. he's telling the story. Yeah. And he is a big guy. And yeah. he is just like, and I mean, this guy's a badass. He like, he just got shot. All he can hear is ringing in his ears. Sure. He's like, what just happened? And he just goes for this guy. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to pummel you. Like a bear. What is happening? He sees his friend get shot in the <sighs> neck. And then so Scott ran to the woods. And that about that time, Sean kind of went at Smith. And then he turned around and shot freaking Sean in the chest point blank. 
And he's still alive. He staggered, but he didn't collapse. Oh my he God. is six foot four, 325 pounds. And that's a 22. I mean, oh yeah, 22s are, yeah. But yeah, still. but still, point blank in the chest. As Scott was running away, trying to get out of there and get in the woods, he then Smith turned and fired again at, at um, Scott, hitting him in the back of the neck. Oh no. So now he's been shot in the front and the back, kind of at the nape of his neck and his back. Sure. So Scott, bleeding, like freaking the fuck out, is got to the woods in the dark and is just hiding. And then Sean was like, I'm gonna get fuck out of here. Yeah. He goes, gets in his truck and... (laughs) He's like kind of like trying to get imagine like those movies where they're fumbling for their keys and trying to start the car. And us as the audience are like just screaming like, go, go, go. Yeah. So he he like gets in. He's looking like in his rearview mirror. He thinks he sees a shadow. He looks in his driver's side window and there's fucking Randall Smith. Ricky Ricky Randall William Smith. (laughs) Ricky Lake looking at. Sorry. No, I love it. I love it. So anyway, he's looking at Sean. Uh, and fires again right at the driver's what? side window and he it clicked it oh. didn't the, the it didn't fire yes. it was he was out of ammunition so smith because he's psycho starts like hurriedly reloading his gun but sean was like goodbye hit the gas squealed out of there went up onto the road and yeah. scott's like hey like, <laughs> don't leave me so he jumps out hey, and he's like and sean reaches across like pushes the door open scott jumps in and they just oh like high tail it the f- out of there so this and as this is happening i would watch that movie poor it's not it's just like an episode and, yeah but no but i mean if it ever turned into a movie yes, i would watch it this could be a movie it's insane That's it's crazy. insane so scott has like his finger in the hole in his neck because it's just pouring blood, like spurting out. He's just like, okay, I'm going to die. So not only are they 30 miles away from like any anything. kind of hospital, mm. there's no cell phone reception. And plus, they don't know because Scott's truck is back there with the keys and they're like, he's going to follow us. Yeah. So they're driving like insane, you know, like just bats out, full, of hell. Bats out of hell down this crazy mountain. 120 miles an hour. And they still they have five miles to go until they know they're going to get to any kind of house. And it's a really apparently it's a very treacherous kind of road like you take it slow right and they were flying he hit an embankment oh my god because he was shot in the freaking head and driving his hands like he was so disoriented (laughs) he he gets back on the road (laughs) i mean the fact that he was shot in the chest and in the head and is able to drive it's just mind-blowing that's crazy so they they finally make it down you know these five miles which seem to take forever they go to the first house where there's the lights on and scott ran to the house banging on the door because Sean couldn't get out of the I mean he was in the truck his face was swelling he couldn't even talk and so this they knocked on this woman's door and I mean she was like nope <laughs> would you I would be like looking out my out my curtain like uh I'm sorry sir but I cannot open the door so first she thought it was like some sort of crazy home invasion but her son her 20 year old son was living with her and he came down and they went on the porch and they were like oh my God, you know, what the hell happened? At first she's like, did they shoot each other? Like, what is going on? (laughs) But her son actually recognized one of them and knew it was like a real situation. They called 911, but the ambulance and police were 20 miles away. In that time that they're waiting, both those guys thought they're going to die. She used every single towel and whatever (laughs) in her house to try and soak up blood. There was just blood everywhere all over the porch. Poor Scott. I mean, so Sean just is in the truck, 
you know, they're trying to tend to him. But Scott is like bleeding out of his neck in all these places. Yeah. He just want to talk to his parents. Aww. You know, he thinks I'm dying. Yeah. I just want to talk to my parents. But he's more worried about Sean. You know, we have a friend since they were like little kids. Yeah. When the ambulance and the police finally arrive, they ask Scott for a description of the shooter. And the way he described it, um, they were kind of like, hmm. And so also with the lady that the house they went to, um, uh, her Melissa Miller. So her son, I mm-hmm. guess the granddad or her father also lived there and he had seen a poster at the small store. Uh-huh. So his grandson, her son, yeah. like jumps in the car, races to the store, wakes them up and like, come on, give me the poster. So he grabs <laughs> it, runs back. It's so small town. And- yeah. You know, like there's been an emergency. So he runs back, shows and they had time, right? Because they're waiting forever for them. Yeah. And so they he shows him the picture. He 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 ID'd him. He actually said, I'm one hundred percent sure that's the man. <laughs> so so this is this is sad. So the helicopter so they kind of drove them to an area where some helicopters could land. Uh-huh. But Sean was too big. <gasps> this is a big guy. So they had to go take him by ambulance to another hospital, like smaller hospital where they could get a bigger uh, <laughs> helicopter to take him out. Oh my gosh. And, um, and let me tell you about Sean. Yeah. You can tell in the episode, he's just a really sweet guy. And his mom um, raised him by herself. Aww. And she heard, you know, they called her and she was just like panic mode, driving yeah. like crazy. She went to that hospital, but he'd already been helicoptered out, had to drive another hour to another hospital. They both immediately went into surgery and, um, you know, but they were, they both, re- they both survived. That's amazing. It is amazing. Can you believe it? <sighs> Anyway, so back to that asshole, Randall Smith or Ricky Randall William Smith. Ricky. Ricky Randall Lee William Smith. Ricky Dicky. So, <laughs> so they, um, so of course he did take Scott's truck. He I would was, they were this. out looking for him because they were like, he probably has my truck. And they, so they had a description of his truck and they were um, doing a search for him. One of the police officers passed him. And when um, Randall, Smith saw them, he like went all crazy and sped, <laughs> went off the road and flipped the car and flipped died. The truck. He died. He didn't die. He was taken to the same hospital as Sean and Scott. Shut the front door. I hear that happens a lot. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, probably not a lot of options out there. So, but they released him two days later and then he was taken to the medical wing of the New River Valley Regional Jail on May 9th. Good, good, and good. he was trying to tell the police that he shot them in self-defense. The next evening, um, they went to bring him his food. They found him unconscious and he died. He was 54. And they oh. couldn't really, they're like, there was no foul play. We promise. And yeah. they did an autopsy and it just seemed like. He just died. It seemed like natural causes, but weird. I mean, That's... he just had an accident. So other other sources say that it he may, died from injuries. Maybe they just didn't know about yeah. when he was in the hospital. And they're probably like, whatever. I don't know. Maybe there was some serial killer nurse there just putting air into people's lines. <laughs> She's like, you need to go. So good news, though. His yeah. dog, Bo, was adopted Oh, and went on to have a much better life. Oh, That's a positive. And according it to is. the doctors, the bullet that went into Scott's neck yeah. was millimeters away from his jugular. He would have died for sure. Oh, and man. so luckily they both recovered and they still have bullets like um, the Sh- Sean was saying the bullet is still like in like pieces of it are in his face, like in his sinus oh. cavity and they're not sure how to get it out and i think even scott has one the still like lodged in someplace. his back like every time like they go through the yeah. every time they go through like the airport security <laughs> I <know. laughs> but i mean you know they survived that's a pretty that's amazing story amazing with that i am going to stop because this has gone way longer <laughs> than i planned so and imagine there's still 
two more episodes. Two Think of this as like when you went to see Lord of the Rings episodes. and it just went on for three hours, but you're like, that was the shortest three hours of my life. I, yes. I mean, I love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I love the books. I love the movies. I, yes. I know you're, you're into it, but I mean, yeah. Super so this trilogy is um, going to continue on. We're going to get it all out this week. I'm super, though, those were really good stories. That's crazy. And now I'm really starting to wonder what my mom was thinking, allowing me to go to that Girl Scout camp and hike in the woods. I mean, I was really persistent about it, but yeah, man, and it was really fun, but still, but still, I could have died. I know. My kids will never go anywhere ever. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I've been hiking. You're not going. Yeah. Hiking ever. So, yeah. So (laughs) just kidding. So for our next episode, we probably won't do much of an intro. We'll just. Yeah, we'll just right get into right it. into it. Yeah, for the next couple. So maybe sure. they'll be a little bit shorter. But but in the meantime, please yes. check us on Apple oh, Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. What else? Twitter. On Twitter, <laughs> on the Instagram, and at our Gmail, you're going to die out there dot, at gmail.com. Write us an email. Yes. Oh, and also, we I would like to make this request that you guys uh, please review us. If, if anyone knows how to do reviews, like write out a review, you know, not just like, obviously you're going to put five stars. <laughs> well, on the but, Apple, it's pretty easy. You just click the button, write a review and, and get her, get her done. Get her done. Yeah. And yeah, maybe I'll put a link on our homepage that will be like, if you want to leave a review for us, because, um, you know, because yeah. you love us. Yes. And we love you. Right. <laughs> So yeah, check us out on there. And um, if, and also story ideas, yeah. we definitely want, and that could be a real quick email, just like, hey, you guys should do this. It's awesome. For and sure. we will, we'll do our best to get it in. Yeah. That's it. That's it for this. And then uh, probably we're going to keep emergency preparedness kit to the end of Jen's three-parter. Yes. Because I'm going to have to think, I'm <laughs> going to have to have a combined. Oh man, I'm going to have to be thinking good. a lot. You'll have some time to think on it. Yeah, it'll be good. Yes. Sweet. I mean, for sure, we already have a machete, so that's a given. So it's going to be something besides that. Old hickory, always. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, Well, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you uh, next time. And until then, don't die out there. Bye. Bye.